The AXPX Podcast is brought to you by Charming Beard Coffee. Go to charmingbeard.com and enter in the code AXPX when you buy a bag of their single roasted coffees and get 10% off of your order. Charming Beard Coffee, quality, small batch, single origin coffee for the discerning coffee drinker. Beard not necessarily required. All right, well, welcome everyone to the AXPX Podcast, episode 15. I can't believe we've done 15 of these. I'm your host, Sean DeRager, and with me as always, Joey Avalos. What's up, man? What's up, Sean? How you doing, man? I'm well. I'm well. It's been an insanely busy week, so it's good to sit down, take a break, and, and, and chat and get another one of these podcasts out. Um, it's it's funny because I checked the stats for, for the gun control episode, and they were way up, way high. And as soon as uh, as soon as I checked the stats for our last podcast, the Bart Ehrman lecture, uh, our listenership dropped <laughs> <laughs> like just off a cliff. So it was interesting seeing that uh, gun control is a hot topic, but the history of uh, the King James Version Bible, not so much. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> well, uh, today I have a very special guest. I'm excited to to have him on. Uh, he's the host of the Thinking Atheist podcast. He has a online community, thethinkingatheist.com, and he just recently wrote a book called Deconverted, A Journey from Religion to Reason. Seth Andrews is on the show with us today. Hey, Seth. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate being here. We're very glad to have you. And um, it's funny because when I was when I first listened to your show, I'd gone through some things and I was starting to, to search quite a bit. And I was looking for as many atheist or free thinker or agnostic type podcasts or anything like anything that I could find. And I stumbled across uh, your podcast. Number one, because it was the best produced podcast out of the lot that I was listening to. Um, and uh, and I think I was drawn because uh, I found out later that I spent probably about a year, year and a half editing your voice for a company that I worked for in Tulsa. So. So it's it's an a, odd, weird thing. You know, all these years later, I was doing uh, on-hold scripts for mm-hmm. a company that used to do that kind of work. And being a voiceover artist, you find yourself voicing a lot of different types of stuff, whether it's uh, radio commercials or promos or even the voices on hold. And and so that really brings back a memory. And the fact that our, our paths crossed here a dozen years later is pretty amazing. So. Well, well, it's funny because I, I was I was listening to the show and I'm like, I know this guy. I know this voice. But then I was like, ah, it's just a coincidence. The guy that I knew was a Christian broadcaster. There's no way he'd be an atheist. <laughs> Except you're used to it saying, you know, thanks for calling Sam's Sam's retail. Yeah, exactly. Please like, continue. Hold. We'll be with you in just a moment. Right. I, mean, I, I don't know how many of those oh I've read God. in my career. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I've heard I've heard this voice doing those. I haven't heard this voice in any intelligent conversations. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, yeah, well, that's more accurate than you probably know. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's good to have you on the show. It's good that our paths have have crossed again. Um, like I said, we didn't spend a whole lot of time together. We kind of brushed shoulders, um, but I'm very you know have a lot of memories of seeing you and uh, and hearing your voice. And it's kind of funny because I had brushed it aside so long and. And in listening to your book, I listened to the audio version just because I, I never have time to sit down and read these days. But um, 
you answered all these questions, and you connected all the dots, and I finally sent you an email and said, "Do I? I know you." <laughs> you know, so yeah, it worked out yeah. that way. So well, and it's odd too when when you know someone when you are a believer, and mm-hmm. and at the time I think I was still in Christian radio, uh, just sort of coming out of it, and then you see them many years later when your life has done a one eighty. And, yeah. you know, you tell them, well, I'm now an atheist. Well, you always wonder what kind of response you're going to get. Will they immediately pity you? Will they pray for you? Will they say, oh, I'm so glad because I went down the same path. I've I've seen it all. So uh, I'm honestly, I'm glad to meet another free thinker all these yeah. years later. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm not I'm not ready to commit, uh, Seth, to athe- atheist, but I'm definitely my radar is open to all. <laughs> that's why we started. I love it. So and, started you know, that's show. always been my encouragement to anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. The, the, the number one thing is don't live in an inherited skin. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like you are merely an echo of someone else's voice. Whatever path you come to, just come to it on your own. Right. And I think if we're all on an honest exploration and examination of the evidence, well, I can't, I, I honestly, the end zone for me is be an atheist. No, it's to live a truthful life. So right. I totally respect that. I think it's amazing. Well, I think if more people were open and honest about their journey, I think I feel like the world would be a better place. Um, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of sidetracking here, but it's funny because I'm trying to get a uh, a Christian band on the show, and but they are having the hardest time wanting to talk about faith and everything. They would rather talk about this other stuff and they're trying not to brand themselves as a Christian band. And I'm like, why, why you obviously, this is something you believe in and you're right. Put in your songs. Why wouldn't you want to sit down and talk with me about your faith? It's really odd that I've, and I'm trying to get some balance for this show. And it seems like there are plenty of free thinkers and atheists that want to talk. I'm having a hell of a time trying to get a Christian on the show. So, uh, well, you know, there's a, I've run into to many that, uh, you know, it, it just don't get, most of the ones who visit my comments pages because they'll make you crazy. <laughs> they'll make you crazy. You know? If you can speak in all caps, they certainly <laughs> will do that. And you don't want that for no. an hour long podcast. No way. Yeah. Well, um, I, I did want to talk to talk to you about, about your book. Um, I have listened to it twice. Uh, I think I have a few more chapters to finish listening to. And I got the audio version and I highly recommend people grab the audio version from audible or I think I got mine through iTunes. But hearing you tell your story in your own voice, I think adds another level to your story. And um, well, and I, I wanted the the audiobook to feel a little bit like the podcast. Uh-huh. You know, I, I I really want people to, you know, to not be talked down to or talked at, but to just be part of a conversation, to be able to listen while they do whatever. And yeah, and that seems to be how the podcast audience connects. And I wanted the, the audio book mm-hmm. to be the same kind of experience. Well, it, it turned out really great, Seth. And uh, I, I did buy your book as well. So I have I have that when I want to look certain chapters up or, or things like that. So thank you. Uh, and the, the book itself also uh, is a is a very good it's a quick read. It's like I don't know. It's 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 great. I mean, I've I've been reading Bart Ehrman, and so it's nice to actually have a have a book that I can breeze breeze through and under, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah, really connect. It's a little thick. It's a little bit. Uh, thick. I'm reading uh, Jesus Interrupted right okay. now, and and it's good stuff. But you definitely want to step back every once in a while and reboot just a little <laughs> bit for sure. For well, sure. Uh, Joey, you uh, recently wrote a review on on the book. Do you want to give a little mini audio review? Do you want to? What what were you, what were your thoughts on the book? Well, I don't you have, read it. I, yeah, I didn't have the mm-hmm. audio version, but um, but I what I find is with your voice, Seth, is that you, when you read the book, anyways, you kind of have that Morgan Freeman kind of voice that you <laughs> you read one of his, you know, like you see those names or whatever they call on uh, online, 
and you always read it in his voice, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, but with you, when I was reading the book, I heard your voice anyway. So to me, it was like an odd, just echoing the words when I read it. So I I really enjoyed it. Well, you're very kind and I I appreciate the support of of the work. It's obviously a first time author's uh, effort. It's certainly nowhere near the, uh, the literary level of many of the people I so admire, but it's, uh, I think it's, it was important for me to write and people seem to be finding some real encouragement in it. And that's a tremendous, tremendous thing for me. I'm very thankful for that. Well, that's the thing, Seth. I don't think it has to be a gigantic literary, you know, opus. I think that a lot of people like, like me, like Joey, we just want to connect with somebody who has actually been through a journey of, of exploring their beliefs and challenging their beliefs. And I think that the book itself really goes through that journey very well. And someone like myself can connect. And uh, while there are other books that are, you know, more seem to be more lofty, I think I, I feel like we need more, you know, books like this, you know, for just kind of the, the you know, the, the normal Joe. <laughs> I think know? that explains the popularity of the radio podcast. Yeah. You know, people can listen into a science lecture and they'll get great information. But have they really related to the speaker? or as much to the material. And when I host the show, I don't have any lofty notions of being some grand thinker. I'm a guy finding his way down the path like everybody else. I'm a guy who makes mistakes and then goes back and apologizes and said, I screwed up, let me fix it. <laughs> I'm a guy who, who is fascinated by this new world that science has unveiled now that I'm no longer looking through my God glasses. And I'm, I'm just a guy. And, and that seems to resonate with people. Yeah. They, they don't feel like I'm talking down the, my nose at them. Instead, they're taking the journey with me. I'm taking the journey with them. We're all in this together. Right. And people are coming out in droves to to support that, and it's been tremendous to see them do so. It's been very it's been very cool to see uh, see how it's the book itself. It's got to be crazy to see how this book has kind of skyrocketed it, to, to me as an outsider looking in. It just seems like you know it's almost like do you think like what have I done? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you release something for the skeptical community, a community that prides itself in being skeptical, mm-hmm. you feel a tremendous amount of pressure. You know, it's funny when you post a Facebook post or when you put a video out and there is something wrong with it, <laughs> the, the, you'll find out. It'll take about 30 seconds yep. and and they will bring it to your attention at high volume. This is a and I'm, I appreciate that. There have been many times when I've released something or a video or something and the info will be incorrect and I'm not going to go back and fix it. And I'm glad to be able to do that. But when you take so much time and energy to put together a work like Deconverted and you release it to the skeptical community. Then you sit back and bite your nails waiting for the ax to fall, you know? (laughs) And, and honestly for their goodwill and enthusiasm, I couldn't be more thankful to see the, the tremendous amount of people are sending me, they're, they're taking pictures of their signed copies (laughs) and sticking it on Facebook and tagging me. And they're, they're sending me notes and emails about how it helped them. Or they knew someone who didn't understand how they could reject God and they gave them the book and mm-hmm. said, look, if you want to know what I'm thinking, this guy's story is like mine. Read this sucker. And I, I have been overwhelmed by it. It's pretty amazing. It's been very amazing. That's pretty awesome. Well, let's well, you know, Oh, yeah, go ahead, Joey. I was going to say, well, Seth, with the success of the book and the, the great response you're getting, you think about making a, you know, a, not a sequel, but more books. Do <laughs> so you think about writing any more books in the future? Well, I, you know, I don't, I love language and I will 
I may go down that path down the way. I think it needs to be the right book at the right time. I think it needs to be an organic thing, not I need to do a book because it's going to be 2014. Right. But instead, it's it's something that, hey, look, I've got more to say, and this would be the right format mm -hmm. to say it in. And the in the right now, I'm I'm very happy to let Deconverted sort of be out there, and in the meantime, to be able to focus on the uh, radio podcast and the production of videos. And I'm and I'm doing a lot of live presentations, especially here in the spring. I'm going to be touring around. Uh, parts of Oklahoma were going to well through Texas, Amarillo, Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Houston, ending up in Austin at the American Atheist Convention, speaking in April at Reason Fest 2013 in Lawrence, Kansas, um, already scheduling some stuff for the fall. So, you know, I've got a full dance card. Wow. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm glad to be this busy, um, but that's probably where my focus is right now. And you're and you're doing all this while while also having a full time job, which is incredible. <laughs> So. Yeah, and a family. And, and that's <laughs> a been a challenge. Yeah. You know, it, it's been a challenge. I've I've had to commit to do a better job at at not giving my family the leftovers. <laughs> right. I there were nights and anybody who knows what a job you're doing that has a heavy deadline that you're passionate about that we're, that you're doing alone, largely alone. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like to be up half the night and to spend your your weekends and all of your free time and a lot of your free income making it happen. It's a labor of love. Well, mm -hmm. the downside of that type of commitment is that quite often the people around you suffer. They're having dinner without you. They're making plans without you. You're there. You're a little bit disconnected. Mm -hmm. And here in 2013, especially, I've renewed my commitment to to make sure that all of my priorities are served. The thinking atheist will always be something I invest so much of myself in, but I'm not going to do so at the expense of my loved ones. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a right. better job of making sure again that they don't get the leftovers. And so that's my commitment, sort of a new <laughs> year's resolution for the 2013. That's great. That's a, that's a good yeah. one. I, I feel, I find myself doing the same thing with a wife and three kids. It's uh especially with starting up this podcast and everything. And, it's uh, a, it's, you know. I think it's part of the activist temperament. People I think who are driven to communicate in whatever way they communicate. And it may be true with artists and everybody else. Uh -huh. You know, so if you're passionate about something, you would you are all in. You dive into the deep end. Yeah. And okay. it's 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 good occasionally to take stock and say, is my life does it have a healthy balance? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so yeah, I um, understand it. Do you you know uh, you're you're getting you're engaged, right? You just got engaged. Yeah. To, to yeah. Now, so congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. It's funny because my my wife will say. She'll be talking about because I'll see something, I'll read something that a uh, that a Christian says or some some news story. And I'm just like ah, you know, and I have to like you know blog about it, or write about it. And it's funny. She's like, well, why? She's like, well, why do you even care? Why do you why do you care and want to tell others about you know what pisses you off about that pastor? And then, but I'm like, I, I don't know. I just need to get it out as part of my personality. And I feel like you're very much the same type of personality where you see something, you know, from religion or somebody who is trampled by by Christianity, you want to get that message out and that story out. It's I have a response because I'm often asked, look, what's the problem? Why is it why does it bother you? They're uh -huh. not hurting you. What's right. why are you stirring the pot? Why are you shaking the tree? Why not just let everybody do their thing? And I always refer, and I have this in poster form on the top of the Thinking Atheist Facebook page today. It's a quote from Christopher Hitchens from Letters to a Young Contrarian. It says, never be a spectator of unfairness or stupidity. 
seek out argument and disputation for their own sake, the grave will supply plenty of time for silence. That is, at least at this moment, my coda for uh -huh. living. Look, why am I? Why would I not speak out when I see unfairness or uh -huh. or stupidity, something that is ridiculous, something that is offensive? Why would I not stand up and speak out? Uh, life's too short, right? And some things are worth fighting for, right? The other thing I always say is, is that look, religions not lying around sitting on its hands. Religion is not, they aren't sitting inside closed doors, happy, clappy Christians simply praying over dinners. Uh, religion is on the offense. What it does is, is it is out replicating. It is out uh, knocking on doorsteps or knocking on doors. It is out taking mission trips mm -hmm. to make converts. It is marketing itself ad nauseum. It is trying to get its message out into our political system. It's trying to affect our science textbooks with mythology and pseudoscience. And so I don't see what I'm doing as uh, I'm not really uh, on the offensive. This is a counteroffensive. This is a response to religious messages that have gone largely unchallenged right. for hundreds, and not, if not thousands of years. And finally, here in the age of information, in the age of Google, in the age of online encyclopedias and science lectures at the click of a mouse. But now, finally, we can have the ammunition to be able to stand up and counter these ridiculous claims and back it up with the evidence. And I think we have a responsibility to do so. I think so. And I've, I've always felt, even as even even as a Christian, I was very much cynical Christian. Right now, I, I consider myself, I don't know, agnostic Christian? I, I don't know. But um, I, I found myself deeply wanting to challenge everything by because... There's a lot of news for the past couple of years. The the gay the gay and the, you know the LGBT movement has basically ramped up, and I find myself kind of wondering why the church had been attacking them so much. I had you know I have gay and lesbian friends, I, and that was really a, a point of contention for me. And that's when I started really uh, kind of ramping up. I think my my search and my my cynicism towards towards religion and i had people come to me on my facebook say if i didn't know any better i think you were gay yourself you know stuff like that so i think you know there's always to be pushback but i think if you're standing up for for people who are being you know trampled i think that's always the right thing to do so i don't and it's I, funny how you see issues like that when you are in the church and then you see it out of the church yeah. in the church you take really no pains to try to understand how human sexuality works for you adam was a guy eve was a girl <laughs> and that's how God intended it. And everybody else is perverse and it's a choice. And was he abused as a child or what mm -hmm. have you? Did he have a crappy relationship with his father? That's why he's gay. We, right. we came up with all sorts of excuses. Not once when I was a believer did I actually try to educate myself as to how human sexuality works, how what might explain uh, the homosexual as opposed to the heterosexual. And mm -hmm. it, after I finally did, I thought, you know, this isn't a, this isn't somebody deciding yeah. who they're attracted. You don't decide who you're attracted to. Right. This is something else. And honestly, it's, it's such a cool picture when you start to see people as people outside of your narrow cookie cutter, uh -huh. you know, or what it, you, you and another consenting adult are loving each other and living a, a happy, responsible, respectful, amazing, happy life. Knock yourself out. Exactly. Well, 
Why am I spending time fighting against you when there are so many truly offensive things happening on this planet that we should be directing our energies toward? It's crazy. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about your book. I want to highlight some things, and I got, got some questions here. I want to throw your way. So, um, like I said, I've, I've I've read, I've listened to it twice. I think it's great, and we highly recommend it. It's it's approved by by the show. So <laughs> the the five of you that are listening, make sure you buy that. Um, You spend some time in the beginning of the book, which I really appreciate, um, setting up your family life, uh, how you were raised and and things like that. Can you briefly give a picture of how being raised in in, in your Christian home was? Well, sure. You know, in in Oklahoma, there's a church on every half block. I mean, we, we speak the language of church everywhere. You pray before meals, you pray before bedtime. Even if you don't attend church, you call yourself a Christian. This is a hugely Christian culture. My parents took that to the nth degree. They were not Sunday Christians. They were trained theologians. They had studied the scripture. They honeymooned in the Holy Lands. My mother used to teach uh, New Testament Greek. She wrote sermons for local pastors. These are people who didn't just speak the language of Christianity. They spoke it all the time, 24 hours a day. Even now, their bookshelves are lined with the ammunition of the apologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were raised in the cradle of Christianity. And there was no question, Jesus is real, God is real, heaven and hell are real. I was in Christian school by the time I was in fourth grade, and it was taught just as much as you breathe in and out, that just as natural as that is, that is God. There is a Jesus in the sky, and he watches everything you do. And um, it was a largely loving home. I mean, they're tremendous human beings. My parents are wonderful people. Uh, and so that it's I always feel a little, little bit of a sting when I have to go back and then challenge Uh, Some of the things they did with the best of intentions, teaching your children to fear hell, I believe, is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. I understand they did it from a point of sincerity, trying to protect us from eternal torment and to see us achieve heaven and be at the right hand of Jesus for all eternity. I understand that they had a huge heart and wanted to do what was best for their children. But I have to now, as an apostate, as someone who sees the scriptures as completely ridiculous and demonstrably false, I have to stand up and say, no, that's that's uh, an abuse. To do this to children is, it's morally wrong and must be stopped. And that's sort of where I fall these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. So what, what denomination were your parents? Uh, well, my father came from a hugely conservative background. He started Lutheran. If he had to call himself anything, he might be Baptist. My mother came from Pentecostal and Assembly of God. And uh, so I sort of got a, a taste of both worlds growing up. Yeah. And then, and then when you were going to church, did you mainly fall in line with those types of churches or did you? No, again, I got a potpourri. You know, I went to a Baptist school, uh, but I attended sort of alternately a non-denominational or Assembly of God church. And then I'd spend a few years in a Baptist church uh, and then back to the non-denominational. And so I was really, one, one good thing about that is that I was sort of able to see both cultures in three dimensions. So I right. got a taste of, of the more conservative and the more outgoing uh, sort of mainstream Protestant Christian religions. Did, did you find yourself like in those churches kind of participating? Like, did you ever speak in tongues or anything no. like that? No. You know, it's funny when I was in, uh, the first time I ever saw someone in the middle of a church service, they just started babbling and what I did, I was just a kid. Uh, what's going on? You know, <laughs> right. someone in the back of the, of the auditorium just starts wailing and it's, it's supposed to sound like a language. I don't know what I really thought at the uh-huh. time, except that I was afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I heard this 
this wailing and this interruption, you know? Yeah. And I remember mom's like, it's all right. It's all right. This is in the Bible. This is all right. It's okay. And um, then I believe uh, per the scriptures or per the assembly of God or Pentecostal doctrine, someone then came in after with an uh -huh. interpretation. Uh -huh. of what the uh, And I never was comfortable with it. I yeah. never... I never did it. I never wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was always sort of a foreign thing that I, I wanted nothing to to do with. You know, it just it was spooky. Yeah, I remember the first time I, I experienced that. I think I was in, I think middle school, and we went to an open an open Bible church type thing, and that happened. And I I would it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I was so I was terrified. I didn't know what was going on. And and in my my family, we were they were ra we were raised that my parents didn't really agree with that type of speaking in tongues, but they were okay with like prayer speaking in tongues. It's always, you it's know, funny how they differentiate. Every church hits it differently. Some <laughs> churches don't require any kind of interpretation. It's just a spirit language. The Holy Spirit is communicating and we're getting it somehow through the spirit. And other churches are like, no, if it do, if you don't have an interpreter to interpret what the person has just said, then it's not born of Yahweh. It must be of the devil. And, you know, to watch the acrobatics that these churches have to do to try to explain this crazy nonsensical behavior, it's, you know, it's, I honestly see it as delusion. And I don't know if these, many of these people are making it up as they go. Some churches train their people to do it. They actually yeah. have classes on how to speak in tongues. I'm sorry. You have a class on how to organically speak the language the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. Why would you need to be instructed? It makes no sense. Right, right. It's crazy. <laughs> um, we can digress into, uh, <clears throat> many different pieces of church theology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what church you go to. There's always going to be some sort of contention with the other denomination. Um, oh yeah. You know, do you do, are you baptized with immersion? Are you sprinkled? Is salvation eternal or is it temporary? Are you supposed to be prosperous or are you supposed to be poor? <laughs> are you supposed to be completely healthy and divinely protected? Or are you supposed to be sick on this earth to be whole in the next? These types of very basic questions, if you put a hundred apologists in a room and get them talking, they'll tear each other to ribbons. And it's right. quite comical to watch them do so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you were a Christian, uh, in your book, you give kind of four categories of, of a Christian. Uh, you have the, and I don't know if these are in order or not, but they got the feeler, the theologian, the folklorist, or the foot soldier. Do you, what were you classified when you were a Christian? Well, um, for those who aren't familiar with it, the, um, the the feeler is that self-explanatory. That's the person who they they get goosebumps and it must be God. You know, <laughs> I just felt the spirit. Uh, the theologian is the person who speaks the lofty language of apologetics, right? Kind of a snobbish person. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, the folklorist is the person who, if they see the ball of flame coming out of the World Trade Center and they know they detect the devil's face in the pattern of the ball of flame, it must be Satan, and they forward it to ten. 10 people and, and, or they see some photograph of Noah's Ark has been discovered again. They don't bother to check it. They automatically send it out. Right. That's the, uh, the folklorist. And then the, um, the foot soldier is someone who simply just hits you with volume. They're always sort of on the offense. They deflect all arguments back to you. If I was anything at the time, I was probably a mixture of the, the uh, foot soldier and the theologian. I could speak the lofty language of apologetics. I could certainly quote scriptures with the best of them, but I was also a confident dude. I was a young kid and I would just walk in already having the answer. And mm -hmm. anybody who came to me and said there, there was no God, well, I would be all over him with just sheer volume. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I want to briefly talk about when you when when you started to doubt. Um, what were the the main catalyst of of doubt in your life? When did when did that happen? Well, you know, I I won't I won't spend it really any time here. If you want, you can you can listen to I don't know countless other podcasts or read it in the book <laughs> right, or whatever. Right, right. But the two major events that that I must say really hit me were in '97, the death of Christian recording artist Rich Mullins was mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. As we were on the air trying to explain his horrible death and you know looking through our God glasses, and then uh, the attacks of 9/11. I was uh, I was really kind of sort of checked out at that time. And and as I saw people begin to project God onto that event, I thought, you know, this is crazy. Yeah. But more importantly, it was really a death by a thousand cuts. There were all of these little things. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a speech at the Oklahoma Free Thought Convention in 2011, and I wrapped the beginning of the speech around a scenario involving a guy named Stephen. Now, Stephen is involved in a gang shooting. In the first version of the story, The bullets pass by him completely. He escapes. Well, God is good. He was protected. Then the second version of the story, Stephen's hit. Uh, He is partially impaired, whether he's paralyzed or has organ damage or brain damage. But he should have died. He has survived. God must have had more plans for Stephen. God is good. Praise Jesus. Stephen dies. That's the third version of the story. Oh, God must have been done with Stephen on this earth. He is now in a place where there is no pain, no violence, only joy and bliss. Now, now we have a God explanation ready. Mm-hmm. We've got it in our pocket. No matter what happens, there is something we can mold like silly putty over the situation. And it's God. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when you start to see those types of things, someone goes into the hospital. If they come out, great. God is good. If they died, well, uh, God called them home. Meanwhile, trained medical personnel at huge expense and time and labor are toiling over these people who rarely get the credit that they deserve. Um, and, and those types of situations ad nauseum, times 10,000, you find those little cuts really starting to, uh, to open things up. And finally, I came to a point where I just sort of checked out. I thought, well, screw it. You know, I'm not interested. I, you know, it's too it's too hard of a discussion to have. The idea of no God is too unfathomable anyway. I can't go that deep, and so I just sort of I just sort of went dormant for about half a decade before finally a debate by Christopher Hitchens online that I stumbled upon began to gave me the to give me the confidence to look further, to go deeper, to start asking questions. It's funny. I took sort of a cue from that guy. I thought, well, yeah. look, he's he's not afraid to ask. He's, he hasn't been struck down from above, mm-hmm. and maybe I should start doing the same. And, man, once you start down that path, there's just no coming back. When you started to doubt and everything, what, you know, what did you have any resources to turn to? Did you go, you know, well, apparently, the, you know, the Internet's probably the, yeah, the best go-to. You know, if I, I'd have had a much harder time if I started to really doubt and started to dig a decade earlier. Uh-huh. But in the age of the internet, when you can find all of these major university speeches by scientists, by philosophers, by whoever, when you can see the debates, when you can read the scientific information, when you can see the creationist arguments dismantled and debunked one by one at the click of a mouse, mm-hmm. that really sort of allowed me to, to, to emerge from my cage. You, you believe the Adam and Eve story because it's what you were always taught. 
Two things happen when you see the young earth creation argument dismantled, like Talk Origins or one of those websites might do, you know? Right. Two things happen. First of all, you find yourself confronted with with verifiable evidence that the earth is not 10,000 years old and that we did not descend from two from a dirt man and a rib woman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the, the second thing that you see is you see other people online who are defiantly asking these same questions as well and then openly openly defying the the message of mythology and all of you know that's kind of a one two punch you mm -hmm. see the evidence and then you're sort of emboldened by others who are standing on the evidence and now you're really getting that car in motion you know right so so mainly you started internet through, through that you found books and things like that did you have anyone around you that you knew was on the same type of path that you can talk to or did no. you were you just pretty much alone i didn't know anybody and i told the people closest to me look i i don't think i believe in god i think that's exactly the way i said it and uh -huh. and there was real concern they didn't blanch or anything like oh my god you know they didn't flip <laughs> out but there was real concern to them they were where i was 10 years earlier uh -huh. it's unthinkable the idea of of this universe without a god is simply unfathomable i could never go there and um, I felt a little bit isolated when you're in the state of Oklahoma, where it's such a devoutly religious culture. To be an atheist is almost like when you leave the church, it's almost like a divorce. It's it's there's a grieving period. There's a separation period. There's a recovery period. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, I felt at least physically, I felt isolated from anyone and everyone who might be able to understand me on the issue of God. Did you feel like even though they didn't even want to consider you doubting anything? Well, I noticed that when I said, I have looked at the evidence and uh, the evidence does not support the claims of scripture. No one looked at me and said, well, what evidence do you have? Uh -huh. Let me look at it. Let me examine it so that I might examine my own worldview to make sure that it is sound. After all, I want to live truthfully. Well, no one said that. Nobody said that. Instead, they shut down. They went into rescue mode. You know what? I, I I will pray for you. I will pray that God reveals himself to you. God still loves you. Not once did curiosity kick in. Not once did they say, man, I, you know, I've had questions myself. I sure would like to know what you know. Shoot me those web links. Instead, it was they went on the offensive. They were circling the wagon. They were sending me all sorts of literature from these believers who supposedly found scientific evidence of design in our DNA or that there was a global flood which supports the story of Noah's Ark or that one of my favorites is that uh, our DNA proves that we all descended from a single mother, Eve, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and they were in full rescue mode. I was tremendously frustrating. And, you know, when... If you can kill curiosity in a human being, uh -huh. you've established a tremendous measure of control. If you can keep them from tapping on the window, from testing the boundaries, from exploring, if you can mute that in a person, you have done a tremendous job of putting them in a situation where they can be controlled. And that, I think that's exactly what the church has done. Yeah, well, most religions do have that indoctrination process. Um, and then that's the thing, like being a parent, now I I I'm hoping my kids are raised in an environment where they can challenge things, and I'm trying to even them being being young. They'll ask me, you know, what 
what is this all about? Or how did the sky get created? And I'll just say, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> get back to me. We'll look into it further. You know, I want them to well, be. It, I think the difference is, Sean, is that we're, we need to be teaching our children how to think, not right. what to think. Exactly. And I think it's it's a great thing to be able to show them the evidence. Look, here's what the evidence says. You know, the sky, the sky exists because it's, it's the outer atmosphere and here's how the earth functions in the mm-hmm. larger picture mm-hmm. of the solar system. And here's how the solar system is placed mm-hmm. within the galaxy. And here's the evidence that supports that. Now, I want you to take a look at this and you tell me what you think. And um, I also agree with Daniel Dennett. I believe that we should be teaching our children the major tenets of all the major world's religions. Not that it's true or false, but here's what Christianity is. Here's what its holy book asserts. Here's what its doctrines are. Here's what Islam is. Here's what Confucianism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, whatever, Scientology, whatever. And you show them the facts and you teach them what each one believes. And then you give them the tools to be able to use critical thinking and examine the evidence to determine whether they or not they are true and to establish their own worldview. And that's something I think parents, instead of trying to teach and train their children more than anything else, they're trying to echo. They're trying to replicate their own worldview in the minds and hearts of their children. And it's tragic. Right. Yeah. Um, so basically, back back to when you were online looking at, trying to look at, uh, listen to debates and Christopher Hitchens and things like that, things like that, you were very much alone. Um, and so... You, I, I believe thinking atheist, the community was kind of a result of that isolation. Yeah, I wanted to do two things. First of all, I had been up to my neck in the arguments uh-huh. that refuted the teachings of my upbringing. And I wanted to translate those arguments against the Noah's Ark story and the creation story and many of the things that Christianity had asserted. I wanted to try to to give an audience sort of the same challenge that I had discovered. So I thought produ- the production of videos, I'm a professional video producer. That's one thing I wanted to accomplish. And the second thing was, so because I knew no non-believers in my immediate circle, I wanted to find community online to be able to reach out and have people like me all connect together. And it was those two things that served as the one-two punch that caused me to found the Thinking Atheist mm-hmm. back in April of 2009. And you've uh, you've garnered a, a, you know, not a following, but a, a, an awesome community of people exchanging ideas and and discussing things with each other what's your been what's what's been your most surprising thing about starting this up and what's been your most um what's been the one thing that you're most proud of with this community well you know i've been surprised a lot i <laughs> you know i when i first had the thinking atheist uh statistics website stats come in a few months after it launched and it was uh, not a known quantity I saw a few hundred people had stopped by. A few hundred people might see a video. And I always thought, wow, that's cool. That's, mm-hmm. man, that's amazing. A few hundred people. I'm tremendously surprised by the sheer number of people who have responded uh, positively to, you know, the just the, the community, the message. Uh, I think it's an exciting time to be a non-believer because we are seeing the, the tide of reason beginning to rise, but to see the overwhelming amount of enthusiasm and support from this community, you know, it's funny, the atheist community is supposedly not uh, a community that's all about uh, love and joy and affection and, and people, right. We're all a bunch of self-centered <laughs> malcontents. We're right. sad, rudderless people without God. We have nothing. Well, that, that's nothing could be further from the truth. These people love people. 
They are. I've seen. Uh, I've seen people come to the Facebook page who have gone through difficult journeys in their own lives, and they'll post something about it. And this community rallies behind them. Hey, you're not alone. You're not stupid. You're not broken. You're not a freak. It's okay. We got your back. That has been probably the one thing that has given me the most gratification. Yeah. And, you know, as far as the most satisfaction, I, I couldn't pin it down. I, I tell you, when I go out and speak in front of a live audience and the people come and, and, and shake my hand and tell me their stories, that I'm, I'm through the roof. I just, yeah. I, I'm over the moon, you know? <laughs> and when a video like Afterlife uh, becomes part of the library and it's produced after all the time you put into it, I think, mm -hmm. wow, that's a proud moment. The book yeah. was a proud moment. Yeah. The success of the podcast, I, don't, I couldn't pick one. It's like trying yeah. to choose your children, you know? <laughs> I love you yeah. all the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really great. Um, I got some more some more questions for you. We're going to take a, a quick break and come back and dive into a few more kind of, I guess, theological questions, but also things that will relate to the book. So um, got some more coming up here, but I do want to uh, play a song for everyone. Uh, this is a band called Lights in Motion. They're on Deep Elm Records, and the song is called Home. And they do have an official music video out on. It's on YouTube. So this is Lights in Motion with the song Home. We'll be talking to Seth Andrews further right after this.
That was Lights and Motion with the song Home off of their album, uh, Reanimation, out on Deep Elm Records. You can go to deepelm.com and grab that there. And you can grab that digitally through deepelmdigital.com. So great album if you're definitely if you're fans of uh, Sigur Ross and, uh, and bands like that. The whole album is just pretty incredible. So I highly recommend it. All right, we're talking to Seth Andrews, author of Deconverted, Deconverted. Uh, the journey from religion to reason. It's out right now. It's available uh, audio version through Audible, iTunes. It's also available in paperback. You can get that from Amazon, and it's also available in digital versions uh, like Kindle. It's funny. I had my first uh, notification that my book had been burned this this week. I I got a message <laughs> wow. from a guy. He's a 19 year old living at home with religious parents, and he ordered the paperback. I guess right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had it in his room and he comes home and his parents are waiting for him and they have the book in their hands. Oh, man. They're like, what is this? And they had this stern conversation. And I guess he felt kind of ambushed. He sort of vapor locked. Well, you can keep it if you want. And he didn't know what to say. And so I think he said nothing. And they went over and they tossed it in the fireplace. They actually burned the book. And I I thought, well, you know, I I consider that almost a badge of honor. (laughs) You know, I, it's look, look, it's my first burned book, baby. Come <laughs> here. You here go. You know? There you go. <laughs> but yeah. isn't it sad? Look, I don't care if it's Mein Kampf. Is burning the book the solution? It, it, what you're doing is you're you're attempting to kill an idea. Uh-huh. Well, wait a minute. You know, even if it's an idea you disagree with, why must it be eradicated? We have to. We have to be able to acknowledge and absorb the best and worst of ideas to be able to discover what is true and what we find satisfying. You know, it's like those billboards that the American atheists put up in Charlotte in advance of the Democratic National Convention that said there is no God. Everybody flipped out. It wasn't enough that they publicly disagreed with the billboards. They had to have them taken down. We have to have them removed from everybody's field of view. They can't see this. Well, what does that say about your worldview? Yeah. You know, you can't see that you shouldn't ever see this. Well, that tells you something about the mindset that religion has. Only the uh, elements that buttress their own worldview, their own doctrines, their own superstitions are allowed. Everything else must be blocked out. And I think that's so incredibly wrong headed. And I think it's it's something that we have to, uh, you know, I think that's really more, even more of a cause for us to promote and support those billboards than uh, than ever before. Make sure they're out there as much as possible. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I had a similar burning experience with music. <laughs> with my parents. So. They used to burn. Re- I remember burning records yeah. back in the eighties. <laughs> the rock band, rock yeah. music, is the cause of all of our ills. So they go out and burn records. What'd you accomplish? Yeah, nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I came home to my dad listening to my my CDs. Uh, I had forgot to lock the drawer. <laughs> yeah. uh, we play. They played them oh, backwards man. when I was a kid. I'm yeah. sorry. You could play the Mormon Tabernacle <laughs> Choir backwards, and eventually, the law of averages says you are going to hear something that sounds like C8. Right. Yeah. All right. I got some more questions here, Seth. I'm going to lob at you. Some of these come from some some listeners and friends on Facebook. Let me see here. Here's here's a question that I, that I thought of, <clears throat> just because I've I've been listening to a lot of uh, you know, New Testament stuff from Bartram, and I was just curious about this. Um, a, a lot of your main issues with the Christian Bible come with the Old Testament portrayal of God. 
Um, what's your opinion of Jesus's message of, of grace and love? Do you have a different opinion of that or? Well, you know, many people will say, ignore the Old Testament uh-huh. and follow the new. And of course, I always refer them to Matthew chapter five, where Jesus affirms the law, right? You know, I have not, every, every letter of the law will be fulfilled. And, and if you read the New Testament, it's, it's really not much better. I mean, you've got, uh, was it the apostle Paul talking about how homosexuals deserve death? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, and you know, Jesus, as much as he spoke about peace and love, he also said, I did not come to bring peace, I, but a sword, right. you know, I will turn a father against his mother, against his, uh, I'm trying to do it from yeah, memory no now. <laughs> I will turn families against themselves, right? Uh-huh. You have to hate your family in order to love me. Well, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't get to say Jesus is all about love and then have him come and say, look, one of the acid tests is. I'm going to make you choose. You're going to have to hate your own family in favor of me. And this is the acid test. Uh And you better not fail this test, you know. (laughs) Plus, I'm sorry, the idea that God, who is omniscient, sees past, present, and future, has to send his own son to solve a problem that he should have seen well back before the beginning of the world. And his solution isn't to simply blink and use his omnipotence to to, uh, absolve humankind of its sin, to atone for sin. No, he's got to have his son brutally sacrificed. It's just bogus. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's obviously indicative of the primitive barbaric culture that that was that time. But it, by the same token, why are we holding on to it 2,000 years later? Why are we not holding God to a, a, a greater standard? Right. I also say to those who try to differentiate between the Old and New Testament that the Jesus Christ is God and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God who was responsible for the rape and the murder and the infanticide and the slavery and the beating of slaves and all of these horrible things in the Old Testament is the very same God that they are celebrating in the New. Same guy. Right. I mean, they, the churches that I go to <clears throat> have gone to say that you know Jesus is this or God is the same yesterday, today, and and forever. So. <laughs> I guess that covers. Yeah. I guess that covers that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, you know, and and I'm sorry. He wrote a book then that goes out of date. And if it's it's so imperative that we receive the correct message, why would God then not release Bible 2.0? So and remove the Old Testament. Uh-huh. And then then we get into the deeper questions of wait a minute, why were these books written decades, if not hundreds of years after the actual events happened? So now we're into hearsay. We don't know who the actual authors were. The Bibles were the Bible books were canonized by fallible subjective human beings, each one with their own agendas. Why would God's book need to be canonized by a human being? Why would they have to vote on what gets in and what doesn't, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, all of these questions seen without God glasses on really are legitimate questions yeah. and they deserve legitimate answers. So what, kind of piggybacking off this, what do you think of, uh, have you had experience with, with denominations who recognize Jesus' teachings as mainly just wisdom, but they don't view the Bible as inerrant? Have you? Well, I haven't, I, most of the churches I've attended have taken a literal Bible approach. Right. They haven't, they, the, this is the Bible, the divinely inspired, perfect, accurate word of God. Um, I have run into the metaphor, the parable arguments in all of my debate circles. People Uh will send, Mm -hmm. oh, you can't take the story of Noah's Ark literally. This was a metaphor, a parable. Oh, you can't take the Adam and Eve story literally. It's a metaphor. It's a parable. This is where people go when the facts no longer support what they're trying to say. So now it's an object lesson. And I think, what's the object lesson of, of drowning millions of people? You know, what's the object lesson there? What's the object lesson of an origin story involving a dirt man, a rib woman, an enchanted tree, a garden, and a talking snake? Um, what? 
and and then how you determine what is metaphor and what is fact. Uh-huh. How what criteria can we now use to determine what was in the abstract and what is in the concrete? It's all incredibly subjective. Right. Yeah. Joey, uh, you you sent me this question. Um, do you want to preface preface it? It's the actually I have a lot of philosophical questions with some of my friends, and we enjoy this. But um, a friend of mine actually brought up this question the other day and asked, you know. He was talking about Sam Harris, actually. He was like, you know, everything seems like it's built around reason, you know, reason this, reason that. But why reason? Why is reason uh, God? Why is the reason the end all say all? And uh, especially with the, you know, the, the title of your book, you know, A Journey from Religion to Reason, I thought it'd be a nice question to maybe lob your way and see what you have to, how you would respond to, uh, you know, this question. Sure. Well, I'll try to give you a short answer. It's a, it's a broad answer and there's a lot I want to include, but right. the reverse of that is if I'm not using reason, what am I using? Well, I'm using personal experience. Uh, people will say, I felt, I thought, I experienced, and this to them is proof. I had a supernatural encounter with the risen savior and you can't tell me that it wasn't real. And when people come to me and they give me anecdotal evidence, I was, I had a guy tell me he, that God in a dream took him to heaven and showed him around. And I've had people who were say they were on the deathbed and experienced the white light and talked to Jesus who then sent them back to earth. And if you're going to receive those as valid evidence, anecdotal evidence, you have to give equal weight to anybody else who has an anecdotal story. That means that the people who say that they spoke to the prophet Muhammad and have met Allah and whatnot and and uh, had some sort of supernatural encounter there, well, you have to give it equal weight. The person who talks to dead ancestors, you have to give that equal weight. If they If they communicated and communed with their spirit animal, that's anecdotal, too. If they saw Elvis Presley after they boarded an alien spacecraft when they, they were experimented on, you know, <laughs> that's all anecdotal. And you'll find people who are convinced this stuff happens. There has to be a measuring stick. And so anecdotal evidence isn't evidence. Plus, there's a, a great book by Levin and Kramer that talks about the unreliability of eyewitness testimony. What people think they see and what they actually saw is often hugely, hugely different. And so I think you have to start in the concrete. You can't start with, well, I, I had goosebumps on the back of my neck or I felt a presence. This does not help us. Uh-huh. We have to start with what does the evidence say? And I think that's a path that is defined by reason. You say, is this supported by the evidence? Is it not supported by the evidence? And that is a path that really that reason is, is all about. And that's why I ch- chose that path for myself. Reason is more of the search for tangible the tangible evidence. And the argument that comes back is, well, you know, God God doesn't operate only in the physical. He operates in the spiritual. He operates in the intangible. Mm-hmm. He is on a different plane that defies your narrow confines. And again, I'm like, well, you know what? There's a guy down the street and he talks to Allah. And there's another guy down the street and 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 he talks to, you know, his his grandfather who died in the war. You know, and so all of these people right. who are just as convinced, you have you're going to have to give all of their personal experiences equal weight. You don't get to be alone in that party. I was talking to my father-in-law last night, and uh, Joey, you don't have this question on your sheet, so I'm kind of I'm throwing an audible. <clears throat> um, 
I was talking to him last night because he knew that I was going to be talking to you, Seth, and, and you were an atheist. And 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 to kind of preface this, my my family, had my my father in law, my my in laws, they've been through uh, uh, the death of their son about six or gosh seven years ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking to me about that, and he feels like going through that tragedy. He could have taken the quote easy way out and not believed. He's and he says that there was, you know, the enemy was trying to, you know, uh, have him give up his faith. And he, but he also says, in the end, he wouldn't have been able to make it through this tragedy without God. Um, and they've actually come a long way. They're doing a, a hospitality house called Jacob's House. They've really turned a horrible situation into good. And he accredits it to his faith in God. I know this is a bit of a weighty subject, but what? I, I'm, I'm sure you've had people come to you and, and give you, you know, that type of scenario. Do you have an answer for that? Like, where would, where does an atheist get their hope from? Well, let me start by saying I would never want to trample on the grief of someone who had lost someone who was. And it's funny. I was at a funeral just a few weeks ago, uh, and it was a highly religious funeral. A man's father had passed away suddenly. And throughout the entire service, they spoke the language of God. They sang mm-hmm. songs about God. Uh, and I totally understand it. I mean, these are, this is how we comfort each other. This is how we deal with tremendous loss and grief. Everybody is trying to cope. And it's so much better for us to be able to believe that it's all part of the master plan and that one day we will be reunited at the pearly gates. This is a comforting thought. It's totally understandable. Um, you know, when I look at my, my buddy whose father died at a relatively young age, he was talking about how his father said, I love you right before he passed away, and he felt it was a message from God. And, of course, being a non-believer now, I look at it through a different lens, and I say, well, essentially you're saying that God killed your dad to prove a point. And um, and I also have to assert, and I would never do this to them, I, I, I didn't want to steal their moment or their mm-hmm. joy, or, or there's a time and a place, right, um, is that... Um, we there's nothing that happened that cannot be explained through a physical universe you know there was a physical malady and it did this to his body and he died and you are you are having a funeral to remember him but even though you're invoking god what exactly is there a god mechanism here and you know god does a lot of things god is god is a way to alleviate the fear of death. It's a way to give one's life purpose. It's a way to uh, sort of uh, massage all of the the uncomfortable and very complicated things in this world, in this universe we don't understand. We can paint it with a God brush, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the acid test for me is not, is it comforting? The acid test for me is, is it true? I appreciate the fact that people use God to try to get through horrible times. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. They pray to the sky, and they hold on to their Bibles, and they quote Scripture, and they reassure themselves. But the truth is, they're coping. They're comforting. They are dealing. But is is it true, or is it just a coping mechanism? And in my mind, they are trying to deal with the unthinkable yeah. by creating a method, a plan, a reason, and ultimately a reunion around it. Do you feel as an atheist that your life has no hope, or do you feel fulfilled? No, absolutely not. And I hear this charge all the time yeah. from people. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to live for. There's no afterlife. I right. did a video on this subject uh-huh. called Afterlife. Why bother living? Why not kill yourself? <laughs> uh-huh. There's no heaven. And I take the exact opposite tack. You know, we are at a blip on a blip on a blip in this vast universe. We have beaten the odds and we are alive at an exciting time 
we have to cherish every breath, every moment, because there is no second go-round, because there is no paradise in the sky with streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions and jewels in your crown and angels singing and harps and all that stuff. Because this is it, we got one shot, make the most of it. And I think we give ourselves a sense of purpose, uh-huh. you know, to to try to achieve our own life goals and dreams, to love people and to try to leave the world a better place than when we came. You know, and that's that's just the way it is. Does the universe care if I exist? No, but it doesn't mean that my life can't be meaningful because I give my own life meaning. Right. No, oh, thanks. Joey, that, well, one more question from you about uh, the question that was asked to Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I believe, uh, I'm sure uh, you probably crossed paths on, on YouTube, seen this video with the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, Christopher Hitchens. All sitting around the table. Yeah, 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 having, you know, having scotch or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, uh, the question was asked to Christopher Hitchens, uh, and I think uh, he answered, uh, what was the question? Let me look at your notes here. Uh, yeah, would you yeah. like to see religion completely disappear? Yeah. yeah. And Hitchens said, Hitchens surprisingly said, no. And Richard Dawkins was like, what? Are you mad? Yeah. You yeah. know, like, of course, I would love religion to completely disappear. Then we can focus our energy on something meaningful. And Christopher Hitchens was like, no, I quite enjoy having discussions about religion. I love debating about religion. I mean, I would hate to see it go away. <laughs> yeah. how, how would you respond to that question? Would you be a yes or a no? Well, I think I would have to say that I see a world without religion as a much healthier world. Uh, and and Religion has attempted to co-op goodness. It religion attempts to define to say that the church is what brings happiness and purpose and relationships and community and morality. Well, the church really doesn't. I think we can have, and I'd like to see us as a species continue to enjoy community. I think we're relational creatures who need each other. I think we can have our traditions, you know, I mean, have our memorial services where we celebrate the lives of those we've lost, and grieve and get over it together. But instead of looking up right to the invisible eye in the sky, we're looking to each other for support and help, which is where the true comfort normally comes from anyway. Uh, I think uh, when we're not trying to project our mythology onto science and history. And so I honestly have, would have to say I really would like to see the the beliefs in deities these invisible beings that are that have us all inside their little hamster cage i think that really would if that went away we would all be a we'd be healthier we'd be happier for sure uh, i was going to say to mention that too with the whole social uh, structure of you know human connection what do you think about the atheist church that uh, just popped up in the uk not yeah. too recently what's your thoughts i know that it was almost like a, a put on by some comedians or whatnot, but, um, I, you know, I get, think, I get you know? what they were doing. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a fan. I'm right. just not a fan. And people will often say that atheism's just another religion. You guys right. are going to church, right? I'm going to the American atheist convention. You guys are just having church. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do we have a holy book? Are we worshiping a deity? And do we believe in a posthumous existence where we go and are united with that deity of course it's not church it's like saying someone in a chess club goes to chess church <laughs> because they all share a common interest it's like people at a sci-fi convention are going to sci-fi church because they all have a common interest no we're gathering together to support a common interest um so i i don't like the idea of the word church being associated with atheism personally i kind of wish they hadn't done it 
Right. Uh, church to me is not an accurate description for what free thought is about. You know, it's just not. Yeah. Well, Seth, I want to thank you so much for for taking the time to to chat with us uh, about your book and and answer some questions. I really appreciate you know you taking the time out of your out of your Saturday. And well, it's my pleasure. And you know, anybody listening, I would encourage you. You know, this is an exciting time to be alive. We are we are seeing a shift, a cultural shift. And I was talking to David Silverman at the American Atheist a few weeks ago, and he said he believes in 20 years that religion in this country will be largely marginalized. And I don't I think that that there may be some merit to that. We may see a shift away from mythology and and these old outdated traditions and towards science and reason and common sense. And this is a time to be celebrated and, and be glad you're alive at this time. It's really an amazing moment in the era of humankind to exist. Yeah. Well, I feel like the floodgates are open to act. People are actually feeling more compelled to actually answer the tough questions and not be scared to do it. Yeah. And, and don't get hung up on the labels. Honestly, don't apologize for living your life truthfully. Right. Seek out the evidence, ask the hard questions and whatever that destination is, wherever it is, just get there on your own and get it honestly, instead of feeling obligated to be emotionally blackmailed by families and cultures to live someone else's worldview. Well said. <laughs> All right. I think we can end on, on that note. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you can find Seth's book on Amazon. Just type in Seth Andrews Deconverted in the search, and you'll find all your options. There's the Audible option, Kindle option, or e-reader, and the paperback. I actually have the paperback, and I have the audio version, which I highly recommend the audio version. Uh, You can also go to thethinkingatheist.com and find all of his podcasts and resources there, and he also has his podcast available and videos available on his YouTube channel. So I highly recommend you check those out if you're interested and want to learn more. Again, Seth, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate taking the time. Thank you very much. I'm not exactly sure what we'll be covering next week. I'm toying around with a couple things. I'm thinking about possibly talking to my father-in-law since we did bring him up in today's conversation about his story. It is a, it's, it's a tragic story, but it's also a story of taking something from tragedy and turning it around into something very positive for community. So I'm going to see about doing that. If I don't get to that this week, it will definitely be in the near future. Also on a future show, not yet determined, going to be talking to Steve Wells. He's the author of The Skeptic's Annotated Bible, which is going to be showing up in my mailbox one of these days. I'm extremely excited to have that in book form. He's also author of the book Drunk with Blood, God's Killings in the Bible. So we'll be talking to him about that. You can go to our Facebook, facebook.com slash the AXPX and find us there. Go to the AXPX.com, find all the shows there. And we also did launch a YouTube page and just to try to get the show out there more, I guess just type in the AXPX to YouTube. The show again brought to you by Charming Beard Coffee. Go to charmingbeard.com and when you order your bag of coffee, make sure you put in the AXPX as the little code. You'll get a 10% discount. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks all of you for listening. Yeah.